I don't think anybody's opinion of you is going to get worse anytime, Michael. (laughs) (laughs) Comment. Yeah. But that was our opening right there. We'll start right there. (laughs) No, we're talking to uh, Bob Pastorella, author of Mucho Mojo. Sorry, Bob, I tripped over it. Um, And Michael David Wilson. and I forget the names of the book he wrote and the one you guys wrote together. So somebody cover that. Girl in the video and they're watching. Right. Which is what we're talking about tonight. All right. Among other things. Yeah, among other things. The other things are more important. <laughs> no, I'm totally kidding. Uh, welcome, guys. Uh, we're we've been stoked to have you for a long time. This fight has been brewing, and now it's on. Um, Michael and I are moderators, of course. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you very much for allowing me back on the show and letting me bring my prize fighter, Bob Pastorello. We are. <laughs> absolutely stoked to be here and i mean what an occasion the release of our collaborative novel they're watching right and and at the same time um a a conjoining of two podcasts for an evening to talk about it that's true that's true Mm -hmm. um and uh but let's uh start with um, for Bob first, since he's new to the podcast, could uh, tell our listeners some things about you, Bob. Well, I'm the co-host of the This Is Horror podcast. I'm also the uh, website manager for This Is Horror. And I'm the author of Mojo Rising, which is a novella put out by Perpetual Motion Machine Publishing. And me and Michael are releasing our debut novel, they're watching. It comes out on Halloween. Don't trust anyone. <laughs> nice. Yes. Yes. Uh, and Bob is a fucking slave driver, too. I wrote for him for a while on just warning you guys. So. <laughs> <laughs> are, are we getting any more splatterpunk, by the uh, way? Totally. Or is that totally. on hold? Yeah, that's I'm the hold up on that. Oh, OK. Uh, but I mean, it's, I mean, it's an understandable hold up. He started a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so I mean, it's like, we'll get there when we get there. You know, yeah. I'm not, I'm not in no hurry. Uh, Splatterpunk isn't going anywhere. Uh, we'll revive the the series when, when we get a chance. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, we'll do it at, at our pace. And if they don't oh, yeah. like it, then they can find, they can write their own articles. No, 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 exactly. no, no. I mean, well, we're going to do it. It <laughs> yeah. deserves to, but I mean, it, it's, we are going to do it at our own pace. We well, are, yeah. No, I mean, that's, that's yeah. awesome. The main reason I was asking is just because it's like, that's something that I just knew jack shit about. And so it was really timely and really interesting to me to kind of get that, you know, that definition from you guys on it. So it was more, more in the sense of like, I'll be interested in your next one. Well, appreciate that, and yeah. we're we're gonna we're gonna get something out. I don't know when, but it's coming. And it is. I, it's we're in the apocalypse. Whenever you get to it, you know. Right. <laughs> uh, that's yeah, and that's kind of where we uh, where I really tripped is apocalypse hit, and I got crazy busy at the same time. And we had, as Bob said, um, for some reason started a podcast. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. 
I think it was just so we could talk to wonderful people like you, really. And well, I mean, that sounds like a joke, but it's not a joke, really. And y'all, y'all's podcast are in, is in my regular rotation. So, I mean, it's like every week, poop, I'm listening. I appreciate that. I think that's yeah, mutual definitely. on all of our parts. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah and that, that's one of the cool things, uh, you know, kind of. And I want to give you guys a thanks, too, because, you know, in some of the episodes, I know you've mentioned our show. And I know that uh, we all appreciate that. Yes, yeah. most definitely. Yeah. Yeah, well, absolutely. And I think, you know, we, we've said a number of times before, this horror fiction community is a community. And so no one's really competing, even though you might not think it from the way I've been <laughs> boosting this kind of fight between us for months. But, you know, in all seriousness, the idea is to lift one another up. That means writers lifting up other writers, podcasters lifting up other podcasters so if we see people that are doing something that we like and we think that it should be signal boosted then we're going to talk about it and I mean at This Is Horror and indeed at any podcast there are so many great writers now that you can't possibly interview everyone so it's amazing that we are in this golden age where we've got so many great podcasts of course there's Ink Heist there's booked podcast there's unnerving there's ladies of the fright there's does the dog die in this there are so many wonderful places for horror conversations and i'm i mean it is a testament to to the genre that you'll see all of these podcasts having i guess for want of a better word exclusives you know you will interview someone who we've never interviewed and we've nearly done 400 episodes that's how many good writers there are so yes if we're singing your praises then it's absolutely deserved and i know at this point you've been going for over a year and i think i mean that there are two points where podcasts kind of can you know stop or decide this isn't for them i think the first obstacle is just getting out that first 10 episodes and then the second is the year mark and you've you've passed them both so for better or for worse you know i think you're in it for the long haul now i hope so because i don't i don't know what the fuck i'm gonna do with my weekends if we're not <laughs> right. um, uh, we are each other's excuse to have fun and uh also That's to true. drink also mm-hmm. to drink heavily oh yeah and and uh disclaimer i i made that rum drink thing again so i'm not gonna make much sense here in awesome. about 10 minutes well, <laughs> you haven't made much sense since we started really laurel so okay, good. i made the drink right then i feel good about things but but also do i i mean i i feel the same way about you know the podcast and and the other part of it is like just the more podcasts we have to the the greater ability we have to lift up um, voices in horror and there are just so many and there's so many diverse voices and there's so many voices that maybe otherwise wouldn't be heard from and I mean that as you know I would just get on the phone and get drunk with Rich and Shane every weekend anyway but mm-hmm. getting to do that and and you know lift up other voices is just absolutely completely rewarding it's amazing and yeah and it's a hell of an education too mm-hmm. for sure for sure you know. 
you know, one of the things, too, is like we talk about the community. We talk about how, you know, the horror is in a horror renaissance. And, you know, with, with the amount of with the amount of writers that are out there right now that are writing horror and the amount of books that are coming out writing horror and the amount of movies and the amount of podcasts, if you can encounter someone that says horror is really kind of in a slump right now, that that's just really somebody you should not like even have another conversation with ever really because they're so they're so lost and that's, i mean that but yeah. i mean really truly you should you should say no i i, I think maybe you're mistaken maybe and you just maybe flood them with you, links you know yeah no, maybe like, you're like let yeah, me give educate me, you give me yeah. your email and, yeah. and, and i'm gonna send you some stuff you know and, and just imagine if horror wasn't at the point it's at right now then you know as far as podcasts go, there'd, be, there'd only be one hot, you know, one podcast, the horror podcast, and be like, I don't even want to listen to this anymore. Yeah. You know, so there's so much variety out there, and that's what makes it so, so cool and effective and everything. I love it. Yeah, same. Me too. Um, and it's yeah, it's just a, like you both of you have touched on is that we all kind of we all kind of feed each other and thrive on each other and support each other and it's it's very symbiotic. Um, the whole the whole community is, you know. Yeah, and, agreed. And that's you know I mean, it's that's why it was really awesome to me to see you guys um, coming together and finally collaborating on a piece because. I've been listening to your podcast for ever since the first article I ever wrote for you guys, and I don't know how fucking long ago that was. It was a long time. Um, but uh, I've always wanted to see see a culmination of the two of your work. So, mm-hmm. um, why don't you guys talk about how that happened? Some. Yeah, well, it was a very natural progression because, I mean, we'd been collaborating on the podcast and collaborating on the This Is Horror website. So at the point where we decided to write together, we'd already got a great deal of experience working together. And I mean, one of the great things about that is we don't have to kind of um sugarcoat anything so we can just be very blunt which i'm sure you can tell from conversations we've had before is my preferred medium of communicating so (laughs) yeah we are of the same mind (laughs) yeah so i mean especially for something that is novel length it's like there's not enough fucking time for you to you know be be treading carefully so you just need to speak your mind say what you think works say what you think doesn't and then suggest what you think will be a, a improvement over that but in terms of specifically how this story came about i was the one who approached Bob about it. And I said, you know, we've been working well on a number of things. Do you fancy collaborating on something? And so he he agreed, which was good. And then we started talking about some of the thematic concerns and the stories that that we enjoyed. And then we started planning out their watching. Now, there have been about three different major versions of their watching so the initial one was a novella of about 20,000 words so the plan that we had I mean it was pretty much beat by beat and chapter by chapter and so Bob would start writing something he would 
hand it to me. I would look over it. Every single sentence was up for grabs. And then after I had edited his section, I would add my own section. I would pass it back to him and we would repeat that process. And so if we've done our job properly, then by the end of it and the version that you're reading, you shouldn't be able to tell who wrote which part. And even if you look and you think, oh, well, that is a very specific British reference, it might not be that it was me who wrote that section. I might just have inserted a British word into, you know, that section <laughs> to to give it that authentic feel. And after we'd done the novella, we we had a market in mind, but it didn't ultimately work out with that one. So then we started playing around with it. We expanded it a little bit, but it wasn't until I guess fairly recently, maybe six months or so ago, that there was always something missing and it was kind of between the second and third act and we weren't sure what it was. And then after we sent it to a number of beta readers for this particular round, including the Ladies of the Fright, they just said a few things and we realized exactly what we needed to add and what we needed to do to give it that element that was missing. And we are so glad that we took the time to really rework this because the 50,000 word novel that you have, that is like the definitive version. That is what we envisaged. And, you know, if, if we'd have put out the original novella, whilst I still think it would have been reasonable, it, it just wouldn't have been what it is now. So, I mean, the lesson there is, you know, take your time to get something right. And I mean, this this has been such a, a positive experience that I think we we almost certainly will be collaborating on future stories together. There is another story that we've been talking a little bit about. And while this was initially my idea, the next story was initially Bob's idea. And this was set in the UK. The next one will be in America. So it's going to be interesting to have that little reversal. Well, and I i mean, I definitely agree. I, I think as far as like, I, I kind of kept having to remind myself that this was a collaboration because I, I do, I think it's completely seamless. Um, so it, it's cool to hear your all's uh, process on that, you know, and as far as like, I, I think that's, you know, that's smart too, like to kind of almost have that the extra eyes on it for the polish, you know, to be able to kind of like fit it together. But yeah, like, I mean, that's a completely seamless collaboration in my opinion. Oh, well, thank you very much. And it, it is something that we both went over a lot of times. Like, I guess I am a little bit of a perfectionist. So even, I think there was one point where I added a few paragraphs and it was very near the end. And I thought, Oh, I better just read through the entire manuscript to check that these <laughs> paragraphs haven't now contradicted something. And also, also sent, but Bob will be able to tell you the amount of times I sent him 
an email being like, right, so we've just made this little tweak. Do you want to just look over the whole the whole manuscript <laughs> and see what you think? And and he, he never refused, but I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, silently or at least silently to me, he was like, fucking hell, Michael David Wilson, what are you making me do? But perhaps you can speak a little bit about that, Bob. Yeah, what I, what I, what I said was, you hobo wanker. But anyway, (laughs) that's, but I mean, the process, and like you said, it, you know, it, it seems seamless. There was a lot of work. I'm not going to lie, but it was, but it was fun work. It was very rewarding work because it it was one of those things that we kept each other on our, each other's toes. You know what I mean? It, It was like, I wouldn't leave him hanging on a chapter because that would be like the worst thing to do. It's like, here's chapter one, you know, and then it's like, oh, so I just got to start chapter two. Oh, from, from scratch. I would, we would leave each other a little bit, you know, or leave each other kind of like we'd write out a scene and kind of start the next scene or something like that. But there were certain parts that we knew that each of us was going to write. And neither one of us had an issue with that because we were going to have a chance to go over it and, and, and look at it and make sure that it, that it fit, uh, you know, and as, as the project got bigger, it did get a little wieldy to, to go back. And if you add something at the end, you want to make sure that you've set it up at the beginning properly. Uh, there was a couple of, of little things that it's like, Hey, if we say this, then we can't say this now, you know, and things like that. So, but, is if you go through it and you look through it and you find those things and you fix them and the the reward is is massive because then it all just flows when you read it you're just like oh wow this is like it makes you have that good feeling you know and it, it's just it was very rewarding work uh and you know it, it's when he sent me he was sending me an email there was one day I just had like a really, really bad day. So I'm sure his ears were burning because I was like, God damn it, man. I got nine million fucking things to do. <laughs> but I did it. I did it. I got it back to him. He wanted it back within five minutes. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just read, read through the whole manuscript. Hey, and I, I'm on a time crunch. Five minutes, you know. But uh, no, I got it to him the next day. And, and, and you know, it was because I knew, it was, hey, this is important. This is, you know. This is this. I'm doing this because I have a job that allows me to do this that I don't like. So, you know, so maybe, maybe, maybe somehow I can find a way to get away from this terrible job I have. <laughs> That's the dream, right? That's the dream. Living, I'm, I'm living the fantasy dream. It's more fantasy than anything, but yeah. It's what, it's what keeps you going. There's something to. To talk about though, um, and Laurel can pipe in on this too, and that is uh, the hustle. I mean, we've talked about it in the past, but people have these visions when you say I'm a writer, and people immediately see um, some goofy guy in glasses who, you know, um, looks like your grandpa or something, you know, because everybody <laughs> reads Stephen King, you know. Um. And I totally lost my train of thought there. So, the hustle. I, I, yeah, I guess the hustle. You... That you got that, you know, it's like Laurel does that, Bob does that. Um, 
Michael, you do like a million fucking things every day. Um, you yeah. know, you guys are all just insanely busy and also have to find ways to support yourselves, you know, and that was the point. Thank you, Laurel. You're welcome. Um, so, yeah. yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, I think I think I think one of the keys to doing the hustle is and you know in, in all seriousness you, you got to have some type of organization some kind and it, you know in a, a little a little maybe on the funny side you got to be a little crazy Absolutely. you know you, you got to be a little off kilter to try to juggle some of the stuff that we juggle you know um and i and i see i see every, everyone has a hustle you know I'm, i mean i, I work with with several several moms have you know they have several kids and the kids go to all different schools and everything like that and everything is like clockwork in their lives it's like bam 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 they're at work they do this da, 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 da. they leave to get their kids and everything like that and they never really have a hiccup and i ask them how they do it and they just look at me and goes i'm driven myself fucking crazy you know and i'm thinking yes. that maybe a little bit of that a little bit of that with some really good organization skills is just what it takes to to make it but who knows i'm I'm a huge advocate of never cleaning anything (laughs) but that leaves you some extra time so that's my advice don't clean nothing (laughs) don't clean anything just throw it away just yes just throw it away or just live in filth that's what i do yeah or hide it in the closet yeah, I told my toddler today that, like, he told me my room was messy, and I said that there were more th- important things in life. And I think he's judging me, and I don't care. Don't no. clean out the microwave. Just throw it away. You'll get a new Just, one. Yeah, I mean, whatever. Yeah. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck it. Who cares? Well, I'll talk a little bit about the hustle, but before that, in terms of cleaning, I would say that when I bought a robot vacuum, it was a bit of a game changer, so I don't know if any of you have that, but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not messing about. I'm completely serious that it was so much worth the money. I mean, they, they aren't cheap, but I mean, I, I went from being like, okay, I really need to vacuum this apartment and I'm not going to describe why, but it's like, it's quite obvious <laughs> that this, this now has to be done to, oh my goodness, I can press this button and every day, like the, the, the apartment looks as if basically I've just moved into it. It's always clean because you've just got the, the, the robot vac going around and doing its thing. So I, I is there a robot dishwasher wow. and maybe yeah. like a robot right. like bathroom cleaner? Yeah, well that <laughs> I know that, that's oh. the that's the thing, isn't it? We need more. But you yes. know, this starts with the carpets and the flooring. It's a decent start. There is in fact a robot mop, which I've I've considered, but considering that I don't yeah, you don't need to mop as frequently, it doesn't it doesn't feel quite worth the money yet, but maybe the next time I'm on Ink Heist, I'll be like, guys, I got the robot <laughs> you really in your life. So, so we'll find out. But as this is Ink Heist and not Cleaning Heist, to go back to <laughs> the hustle, and I'm not sure if I spoke about this last time I was on Ink Heist, so you can 
tell me to shut up. I've already covered this, but I think for me, prioritization is one of the most important things. Deciding what it is that you want to work on, deciding what's important for you. And if you don't prioritize and if you don't decide what's important, then others will decide for you, which I think links into becoming comfortable with saying no, you know, that art of saying no. And I've got a very finite amount of time. I just have to choose, you know, how to use it. And <clears throat> at the moment, I mean, I I don't blurb a lot of books. That's just one thing that I kind of have to say no to be because, you know, I, I'm podcasting, I'm writing, I'm occasionally editing as well so also when it comes to the non-fiction work and reviewing that's something I did a lot at the start of This Is Horror and I can't even remember when I last <laughs> reviewed a book it's been a long time so the key is deciding what's important to you and then doing it and sticking to it and at the moment it's the podcasting and it's the writing and then completely separate to, to my writing life it's also learning Japanese and getting as good at Japanese as I possibly can because I think now that I'm back in Japan and I've, I've got a, a daughter who will be being raised here I want to be fluent in the language I want that if she comes back from school and she's got a letter or we need to have a conversation with a teacher that we can have it precisely so decide what to do with your time prioritize and and that's the only way to go about the hustle also never feel shame i think it's so silly to to have this uh i guess shameful self-promotion because people talk about oh that person's shamelessly self-promoting and it's like of course they are why on earth would you feel shame about that and I I do think it's something that British people find a little bit harder to do we can be a little bit more timid but we we absolutely shouldn't be and if we aren't going to sing about our book then who on earth is so promote your own stuff, give zero fucks, let people know how awesome it is. And if you don't believe that it's awesome, maybe maybe you need to redraft it a little bit. Maybe it's not ready to ship yet. That's, yeah. That's Go how ahead, I feel, Laura. though. Well, I mean, I was going <laughs> to... It's maybe British people and also probably Southerners. I'm going to I'm gonna claim that, too. It's a little hard to self-promote, but Yeah. I mean, it it is. It's something to get used to because, you know, it's not about constantly blasting it all the time and that being the only thing that you talk about. But it is about, you know, believing enough in your work not to declaim, at least, and to, to you know, to kind of remind people occasionally you've got this stuff going on. Yeah, definitely. And I think believing enough is the key because, of course, I'm not saying that you're not going to have self-doubt, that there aren't going to be low moments but you just have to have enough to you know get go out there and talk about it if if anyone's thinking oh I wonder when the part is where as a writer you stop self-doubting and questioning yourself I got bad news for you I don't think that right. ever happened <laughs> <laughs> terrible news <laughs> yeah we've spoken to enough 
writers, really, really established people, New York Times bestsellers, and they still doubt themselves. So that will happen. But I think I think as well that there's almost some bravery in in writing and in putting your work out there because you are putting yourself in a situation where you're susceptible to criticism, where you are vulnerable. And I mean, if I look at the the girl in the video, so it's been out for almost six months to the day now. And yeah, I've had some amazing reviews and some people who have loved it. I've also had some people that have absolutely hated it. And that is fine. That is the way that it should be because you can't write a book for everyone. You want to have people that love it and as a fallout of that, people that hate it. Because if you just write something middle of the road, I mean, that's not really setting anyone on fire. That's not exciting anyone. So it's far better to have the lovers and the haters rather than for it to just be okay. I mean, who would want that? Yeah, not me. Mm-hmm. That's a that's a good that's a really good point on that too. And again, something I think it's good for writers to hear is like, because I know like we talked to Jason Brandt last week, and it was one of the things we touched on was like, you know, I I quit looking at my reviews because, I, I mean, it's like you like I'm so grateful for all these amazing reviews, but my my eyes would catch that one you know negative one, and for some reason that's that's kind of what you focus on. And I was like, ah, you know, I don't want to do that. And it's but it is it's like it's okay for that to be out there. And you're right. I mean, if you're you are eliciting a response in people, be it positive, be it negative, you're eliciting a response. And and that is something to be proud of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, at the moment, I am looking at the reviews and it's not having a detrimental effect on my mental health. But if I were to read negative reviews and that was to have a detrimental effect, then the right thing to do is to stop looking at the reviews and this is going to differ from person to person but the main reason that I'm looking at reviews at the moment because this is only the second release of mine in in terms of a book of course I've released a number of short stories but I'm trying to find out you know who are my ideal readers who are the fans of Michael David Wilson stories and so in looking at the reviews each round each time a book comes out it can then actually help me know who to get my book in the hands of for subsequent releases because I mean that's who I want to channel my stories to those who are going to appreciate it and I guess you know with two books I mean if you've got people who who rate both of them five stars or four or five stars and it's like okay I think you might be in that kind of ideal reader because I mean there are certainly commonalities in in both stories you're gonna get that darkness and that kind of um, awkward humor coming through as well and then that will help me better market future releases now Perhaps when you've got 10 or so books out, you don't need to do that so much. But this is very much the start of my writing career. So I am focusing on on marketing and making sure that this book is being pushed to the people who actually want to read it. You know, and that comes back to, in a way, to 
community to that support thing. Um, like you said, you're developing a network, um, but you don't compete with other writers. Um, and uh, God, I'm sorry. Well, yeah, and I, ca- I can't compete with other writers because no one else is right. writing as Michael David Wilson, just like no one else is writing as Bob Pastorella or Laurel Hightower or Nadia Bolkin. I mean, I think in a sense, as a writer, we are the genre. But of course, bookstores have not done that yet because imagine how many sections you'd have in like, right, here's the Nadia Bolkin <laughs> genre, here's the Victor Lavelle right. genre. It, it, it'd be far too much work for them oh, to yeah. set up their bookshop to do that. <laughs> that would be crazy. Yeah. <laughs> like, where's the Stephen King? Oh, we have to go to the next building. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, over, it's over on 12th Street. Just take a left. Yeah. Up well, the, the Stephen King genre kind of exists. It's just called horror, isn't it? In most, exactly. in most stores. It's like, oh, mm. that, that's all you've got. No, mm. we've got two Dean Koontz novels, too. Oh. Right. Oh, great. Oh, you've, right. Really, you've really got the, the diverse array of titles yeah. there. Thank you. Don't, yeah, don't forget that dusty copy of Ghost Story sitting down there in the corner of the shelf, too. Yeah. <laughs> you know, going back to reviews, though, one of the things that... that I have bought books based on bad reviews. Absolutely. Yeah. I have seen, I've seen like a one star review and going, you know what? That is something I want to read. And I've noticed that I'll, no matter if it's a book or if it's a movie or a TV show, if it's more, the more polarizing it is, the more popular it is. It's almost like, man, I can't wait for something. I can't wait for people, like for haters, to hate on something, <laughs> on anything, because I'm like, it's gonna, it's gonna rise, it's gonna rise, you know. And I, I just feel it. And I'm like, like when the haunt, I haven't even seen one episode of Haunting a Blind Manor, but it, it's already polarizing. There's people like, I didn't like it at all. I thought it was slow, you know. And then there's other people like, oh my god, it's so great. And I'm like, oh, this is probably gonna be something I really like. Because I like a slow burn, you know? So, I mean, it's just, I just think that the more polarizing it is, the more attention it's getting. So, it can't really, you know, it's like Max Booth the Third says, there's no such thing as a bad review. <laughs> you know, just yeah. somebody's, yeah. you know, shitty opinion of your book. Yeah, that's <laughs> the thing, is that there, there are fucking worthless reviews, but a critically a critically negative review is not a bad review it's a, it's the same thing as a critically positive review mhm yeah and and i mean we really just i don't want to write in a world where people only leave good reviews you know it's it's just that's not it doesn't balance things out well so that doesn't you know it's one of it's one of those things like with for a long time it it was i love to monitor my reviews you know, and I, I I loved to kind of see what was going on and see what people thought. And for the most part, like negative reviews didn't bother me. And yeah, I mean, Michael, like you said, it's like if it starts to affect your mental health, like in a like and I don't even I really just think it's a matter of like the anxiety of everything that's going on right now. It's just there's there's so much that I'm already kind of carrying that I realized I read one that actually kind of made me laugh at first. And then I was like. It, well, I kept thinking about it and I was like, OK, mm. then it's time to stop, you know, like because it's that person has their opinion. I would certainly never respond to it, but I don't need to take it to heart either. No. Yeah, I think, you know, you, you process it in your own way and you process it privately. And 
I mean, quite often I'll read a negative review and then there'll be things in it and it's like, I really disagree with what you're saying here or I think that you've interpreted that in a way that I did not intend for you to or I do not find your criticism valid but what you don't do is like (laughs) right I'm now going to write out this reply it's like no you never reply (laughs) to the to the bad review and I mean if somebody interpreted something differently to how you intended it that's because you know they're a different person to you we all have our our preconceptions and our world experience that we bring to a story and you just have to kind of respect that and I mean yes in terms of not living in a world you don't want to live in a world where there isn't bad reviews I mean of course because if there weren't then there's no point having any review you have to have the bad to contrast with the good and if if everyone says they love something well you can't now distinguish one book from another and I think something that we have to be mindful of is that if somebody who we're friends with or we've got as a professional contact gives us a bad review that is not personal you know that they're reviewing your story and they're entitled to their opinion they're allowed to not like it and I do know that some people get very upset if you're friends and you give them a negative review I've I've had that personally happen to me I've seen it happen to other people I've seen writers get angry at reviewers and I've even had reviewers like contact me to apologize that they're going to give my story a less than glowing review and it's like well I I I pretty much said you have nothing to apologize for actually that shows that you're authentic that means that your authenticity and your integrity goes up in my opinion and actually if someone if someone doesn't like my story I kind of personally feel bad that like, oh, I'm really sorry that, you know, you wasted your time on that. Like yeah. it, it doesn't make it's like I really wish that that you hadn't had to, yeah. you know, go through that. And, you know, it, it's not my fault. It's not their fault. We have we have different tastes, but I I can certainly see why it's difficult to be a writer and a reviewer and when I got more seriously about fiction writing I did step away a little bit from uh, fiction reviewing and some people don't it's a personal thing which is a theme that we're going to keep coming back to in this podcast everything is personal everything is subjective and you have to do what works for you but for goodness sake, don't don't fall out with a friend because they didn't like your book. Right. You know, so what? Is the friendship so thin? Is it so artificial that somebody not liking your book means that you're now not going to be friends? I've got friends that create all sorts of music in different genres. Some people's music I don't like. Do we have to fall out? You know, no, we're, we're individuals. We're allowed to have taste. Um, and, but and that's, you know, and the wrong way to react to that is is like I can think of a few authors who I 
reviewed some of their books good and then I hit one that I didn't like and reviewed it honestly and got ghosted by them you know to where they were friends and then suddenly they're I don't exist to them and that's not me being bitter that's just saying that's not the right way to go about that um because we talk to each other too yeah yeah I think the only way that I could see a friendship actually ending is if the negative review goes beyond a negative review of the work if you're personally attacking the author or if you're criticizing it but it's pretty unsubstantiated you know it's very vague <laughs> oh this was a load of shit it's like well can you yeah, <laughs> add a little bit more depth a little bit more color to what you're talking about here but but certainly if you've given an insightful and thoughtful critique and you didn't enjoy it then then that is valid i mean i i wouldn't want anyone to ever be afraid of voicing their honest opinion of my work and you know that the more stories that i put out it's almost inevitable that even those who love my work there will be a story and there will be a book that they won't respond to or that they will you know rank massively lower than the rest and of course i i i want people to love everything obviously but they're not going to that is that is realistic and you know i'll just be grateful for the stories that they do like and the good thing is that i see this as a lifelong concern so if you like the girl in the video but then you didn't like their watching well there's another book that's coming after that and if you don't like that one there's another book that's coming after that now maybe if you keep not liking them i won't personally keep sending them to you because it might be a little bit overwhelming and like i'm trying to intimidate you but <laughs> you know there's always the next story yeah yes. there is a there is a giving up point you're right um where i can see you know there have been authors that yeah i didn't like anything and finally they stopped sending stuff and that's totally understandable because obviously we don't have any any rapport as far as reader and writer go you know so you know go where it's most valuable for you to go yeah and i i will say to that if i send you not you personally, Shane, but one. If I send a book and then the next release, I don't send you the book. Don't really read anything into that because, you know, sometimes the reasons for sending a particular release, there are all sorts of very, very, uh, not, what the hell is the word? Factors. There are all sorts of factors. And, so it might just be to do with timing. And I know that a particular reviewer is not going to be able to turn that review around in the time that it would be needed for release. I mean, particularly with their watching, because this is something that we decided we were going to get ready for Halloween. So this is the kind of quickest I've turned around a publication from deciding on a release date and just going for it. And also, I might send a book to different people for different releases because I'm trying to get a kind of variety in terms of who who are the outlets and the people covering it. So sometimes, you know, if someone's not sending you a book to review, it doesn't mean they're ghosting you. 
Yes, Shane, if you slagged off their last nine releases, it may mean that that is what they're doing. <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing, too. But I'm always honest about that, too. If I I hit a point where if they do keep sending me stuff, I will tell them I just am really not enjoying it and your money would be better spent elsewhere because it's not fair to. I know how fucking expensive it is to market your work, especially when you're sending out physical copies yeah. to people and things like that you know so but yeah there have i mean you can't just walk away from somebody based on one bad review but there are several different things there demographics come into play too okay i know that this guy really digs this and he really dug this book but i just wrote a zombie book and i remember him saying he fucking hates zombie stories yeah. Um, so why would I send it to him? You know, send it to the right people, um, but don't ex- don't expect the answer to be always what you want it to be because it won't. Yeah, yeah, and I'm gonna prove that you know there's no hard feelings in terms of what people think about books and in terms of reviewing it. And I'm gonna just put you all on the spot and ask you, how did you all get on with their watching? <laughs> if you all unanimously are like <laughs> fucking hated it that would be a little bit awkward and Bob will be like Jesus Christ Michael why did you do that we haven't even reached the hour mark yet we're, we're an hour in and you're trying to get this thing over with huh? <laughs> everything's everything goes silent uh, no. No. I, uh, go ahead um, no you go ahead Rich I keep interrupting you so that's all good. Um, I I really enjoyed it. Um, on the whole, and especially trying not to, you know, get into, <laughs> trying not to get into spoilers or anything like that. But the way that you guys kind of crafted the mystery behind their watching, like the pacing and everything, I thought it was excellent because kind of the way you set it up, you you keep people invested to where they don't want to stop reading it. And like I was telling Laurel earlier, you know, I, when I started it, um, you know, I started it and I intended to kind of break it up a little bit. I just ended up reading it straight through, um, in one day. So I really liked that. And, um, kind of the way you mix together, um, you know, different elements of horror in there. Um, there's there's questions I had with certain things, but overall, I really enjoyed it. I mean, obviously, if I read it in one day, I wouldn't have done that if I hated it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that's impressive to burn through, you know, an, an entire yeah. novel. I mean, it's a, it's a short novel, but it's still impressive nonetheless. And, I mean, th- that is it's my favorite kind of feedback when people say stuff like, you know, I just intended to read one chapter and and then I ended up sitting down and reading the whole thing. So mm-hmm. that means a lot. And yeah, I mean, I think I think with most books, there are there are questions that people will have about the story. So that is completely understandable. Yeah, yeah, and, and I have to. For, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Laurel. No, go ahead, Shane. We haven't interrupted each other tonight yet. Like, go for it. I know. Um, 
what are we talking about again? No, I'm kidding. Um, I have to, I have to fess up and say I didn't even start reading it till this morning, so uh, I I can say that I am enjoying it. I'm confident in it that I will be happy with it at the end, but I can't say honestly what my assessment is of it other than that. Um, I can say that I've never read anything by you guys that I didn't enjoy, and I'm quite sure that this is going to hold that record up. Awesome. And yeah, let us know when you finish it. Um, I absolutely will. I probably will finish it tonight or definitely tomorrow. All right. Yeah, and I'm about, I'm, I think I'm right at the 70% mark. Um, and that's the, the pacing is just really, really excellent. And like Rich said, it's like, you know, that you just kind of immediately get this sense of, of paranoia, you know, of, of just like, all this stuff that's that's clearly kind of like looming here and it's and at 70 percent i have no fucking idea who's doing what so i think that's yeah, great. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. it's just like everyone is so i don't know i'm afraid for everyone because this is all you know but yeah i mean i think it's it's such an interesting story and i need to know what the deal is with the fish uh, <laughs> yeah. i just i did like i have to finish it to know what the fuck is up with the fish um but yeah but you know definitely like i said before like it's it's completely seamless um and yeah this it's definitely just like well-paced really really enjoyable um i do have something i want to ask you guys so like who so i think shane said bob you don't drink (laughs) okay so i i want to i want to talk about bourbon Mm mm-hmm yeah (laughs) 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 so I'm I'm assuming and this but this is also like this part this like I kind of just want to educate myself from a regional standpoint. So there's a there's a passage in there where we get really excited about Woodford Reserve. Yeah. And I am I live in Kentucky. I'm from Kentucky. Um and yeah, so like so I'm I'm wondering about the availability of bourbon. Are are you a, are you a bourbon drinker? That yeah. sounds so judgy. Sorry, God. <laughs> well, this drink, was supposed to, to be a. When Go I ahead. drink, I used to drink bourbon, so yeah. I just haven't drank in ten years, so I don't know what's new, what's out there. Yeah. I don't know. Okay. Yeah. I well, am. I am a snob, and I. I honestly <laughs> fucking hate Woodford. Um, <laughs> you know. To each his own. <laughs> we, we did promise these people a prize fight, so. Yeah, it's going to be over bourbon. It's going to be over bourbon. <laughs> there but, it but is. But, uh, but I'm actually curious because one of the things I thought that was interesting was, you know, they referenced, oh, you can really taste like the cherry, the vanilla, et cetera. And I have never been a person that can that can pull those sorts of like individual flavor notes out of things. I so that definitely contribute but but i mean i kind of just was curious about the availability of things like woodford is i i mean i think it is considered um i don't know if it'd be top shelf in in where i live but i mean it's definitely like up towards the top like it's definitely not like you know a well bourbon so i know that it's you know that it's like it's well regarded but i I was just sort of interested to know like about the availability i just wanted to talk bourbon let's talk bourbon (laughs) Like that thing you said, Laurel, about the uh, um, the flavors that being able to separate out the various characteristics of a whiskey flavor, and it's like, oh, I taste peach, and I'm like, oh, I taste whiskey. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How about you, Michael? 
I think that with both bourbon and with coffee, if you buy, if you drink them a lot and you you know, get a kind of palate for it, you can taste these different notes. And I think the trick is to know that when you taste cherry in bourbon or you taste chocolate in coffee, it's kind of different to if you just have like a regular cherry or a regular chocolate, you know, these are different yeah. flavors in a sense. It's almost like, oh, this is a cover. This is a riffing on what cherry <laughs> is or this is a riffing on what vanilla is. But I, I mean, I certainly think that it is possible and I am proof that you can become a bit of a bourbon and a coffee snob. And then yeah. once you taste the good stuff, it's a little harder to go back to the stuff that isn't so nuanced. So maybe I'm one of those people that you're taking the piss out of, Shane. It may be, <laughs> it may be the case. But you will find in a lot of my fiction, both long form and short form, there is a great deal of bourbon that is consumed. And I mean, this isn't the first story where a character has got pretty excited about there being some bourbon available. No, I wasn't actually disrespecting people who can taste the differences and the nuances. I was actually more awestruck by it, awestricken by it, because I can with scotch, but but Kentucky bourbon, I struggle with it. It's whiskey to me. It's, you know, grab a bottle of Beam and go fishing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm an uncultured whiskey drinker. I'm a more cultured scotch drinker because I know what the different barrels taste like. Right. <laughs> I've just had someone who's rang the doorbell at my apartment. Can I quickly answer it? Yes. yes. Okay. Hang on. Right. Don't trust anyone. All right, Bob. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, uh, got any dirt on Michael? <laughs> no. But, you know... I will, I will say this when he's talking about, you know, like the different things and it's something that, that I think of hindsight. This is really kind of Michael's. I mean, it was an initial idea. And I know that that we, every writer has what's called like brands, like things that they usually somehow work into their fiction. It's kind of like if you look at. Uh, the, like the way that David Fincher makes movies or David Lynch or David Cronenberg, any of the Davids, because uh, <laughs> I just realized they're all fucking have the name David. Apparently, I like David uh, directors. Anyway, um, they all have like this. I don't know. It, it's not really like a style. It's just things that they put into there. And one of Michael's things is he likes, you know, he's going to mention music. He's going to mention food. Um, whiskey, things like that. So um, when it came to, to things like that, and since this, this is his initial idea, I know how important those things are when you're character building. And so that's, you know, I'm not saying that I didn't contribute any any of those things, but, I, I you know, in a way, I kind of wanted them to come from Michael. And it's now now I can think about it and realize that, yeah, I probably did. Uh, but in the writing process, you know, it, it's the the music. I think, you know, I think we kind of we kind of we have the similar taste in music. Uh, you know, there was there was one song in particular and I'm sure you all could figure out 
that was me doing Dragula. Uh, so, but uh, that was that was like a like yeah, it has to be that song. So, but um, it, these are like the little little brand things that we do in our writing that come out. And I believe that it's it's almost subconscious, and you can you can't see it till the end. You can't see it till you're done. And yeah, you know it, it's like I have little things like you know that I put it that pretty much every story's gonna gonna have something in there that you can go oh yeah well that that's okay that kind of goes with that too you know so it's really it's kind of hard to talk about it but you know because especially on this book because i don't want to give anything away this is like spoiler free so i can't really you know say so it's almost like you kind of stops and starts on talking about stuff (laughs) (laughs) it's it's interesting you brought that up bob because i was going to ask you guys about that not necessarily like the brand but you know from talking to you know all the writers that you guys talk to and same with us that you know every writer kind of has like their own process and the own their own way that they like to do things and i know you and michael had uh, have a good relationship you know doing the podcast and everything but was it kind of difficult you know meshing like kind of i mean i know when you're working on your section it's you know you working on it but was it kind of difficult to try and take like the way you guys approach things and try and bring it together? And also the same thing with like the brand, because, you know, like you said, you've got two, you've got two distinct personalities and things you might like to incorporate, but then you're trying to kind of blend it into one cohesive thing. Yeah. I mean, it it was in the, the initial writing of it, was maybe a little tougher once we got into the swing of things even even going from novella to a little bit longer to 30,000 and then taking up to 50,000 there were some time gaps there so mm-hmm. it but we were able to get back into the groove with this project each time because we we had that we had that grounding you know the, the actual project and it's like we're just building on it so it wasn't like getting back into, you know, character and things like that. I think one of the really, really good things about it is that it stays, you know, literally, you know, 100% in Brian's head. So it, we're only in Brian's POV throughout the entire story, uh, which, I mean, if you once you realize, once you get done, you realize that, that going into another POV, any other POV probably would have taken a lot more work. It could have been pulled off. I'm not saying it couldn't have been pulled off, but but staying in that POV allowed us to keep that voice going, you know. And we we find we learned about the other characters through their dialogue and their actions and the way that they react to things, especially Ted. And Ted was, you know, me 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 and Michael came up with Brian, but Ted is a it was a Michael creation that I that I had to learn and. When, so when he when he started introducing Ted into the story, uh, it took it took a little bit, but it, w- it wasn't hard because we never really go into Ted's head. We don't take his POV. We only we we get to to experience him through Brian, and and through all of Brian's paranoid delusional idiosyncrasies, you know, and so which makes for some you know really really tight dialogue 
but we, we, you know, both me and Michael have this, you know, we're really good. We're visual writers. We, we, we're really good at dialogue. And, um, you know, it was, it was really kind of a way to incorporate all the senses. And so it, it was, it wasn't, it, it just, I don't know. It flowed. That's the only way I can really describe it. I mean, it was, it was like, once we got into the groove, it was pretty fucking easy to tell you the truth. Yeah. yeah. But it was fun. Yeah. It was fun. And that's the whole thing. There was work involved and there were some frustrations, but it's, it's not like you, you know, terrible, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to try to just damn email and I'm never working on this thing. Again. <laughs> it was never like that. It was, you might get a little frustrated. It's like, okay, wait a second. Hold on. I can figure this out. I know what we need to do, you know? And it, I mean, there were some points where me and him were, you know, in Skype calls or, or on email and we would figure out what we needed to do just by talking through it and, you know, and realizing, Hey, what's, what's going to be the biggest complication that's going to cause our character to move in the direction to get him to go to this ending that we've concocted. And it, we, we managed to pull it off. And so it's like, I don't know. I'm really kind of proud of that. <laughs> yeah. Hey, here's, oh, sorry. Go yeah, ahead. I, I don't think it was too difficult for us to do this at all for a lot of the reasons that Bob has outlined. I mean, particularly to do with the fact that whilst our writing styles are distinct, there are a number of commonalities, particularly that we like to write dialogue heavy stuff. We've got fairly simple minimalist prose, but I think even bigger a factor than that is the fact that we're not kind of precious about anything and so we can just straight talk to one another so we could establish red lines and so I could say to Bob why don't we do this and he could say no and then it's like okay so then he's like why don't we do this and I say no and we can just go back and forth we can just you know be be so direct with one another that if something is uncomfortable for the other person, we'll just let them know and then we'll come up with something else. And actually, if you both have your kind of hard lines and, and you don't want something, it means that perhaps the solution and what happens is a little bit more creative. And so I love it when when people like Laurel say they don't know what the hell is going to happen. And I know when we were speaking with Brennan of Dead Headspace, he said that every time he predicted what was going to happen, it was not that that happened. So he literally couldn't predict a damn thing, which is a, a huge compliment. And I would say an interesting thing is, I mean, Bob pointed out that I kind of had the, the genesis of the Ted character, but I know that if we do a live reading and it's me and Bob both reading, he has to play Ted. He <laughs> yeah. absolutely has to be Ted. So it may be that I came up with the character initially, but Bob Bob is the voice of Ted. I, I'll yes. be like little awkward Brian, and he can play Ted, and it'll work <laughs> wonderfully. It's funny you say that, because I, when I read this, I kind of, like, you know, I didn't really focus too much on trying to figure out, you know, who did what. But I, I, I would have sworn that Ted was, like, something that Bob had come up with. Right. 
So yeah. that was a good and, uh, misdirect there. <laughs> yeah, and the thing is that, I mean, we, we've said a number of times that we've gone over this so much that not only do you not know who who wrote each bit, we've kind of forgotten. So unless it's a very specific line, we can't tell you who wrote each passage of the book. And it's been gone over so many times that, I mean, even if Bob started a section, it might be that now I've written more words than that particular bit and vice versa. So, I mean, I think this is a collaboration in the truest sense. And there are a number of writers who, when they collaborate, one takes a chapter, then the next takes a chapter. Perhaps there's two points of view. It's a very distinct thing. But with with this, you know, it, it's it's almost like like there was one brain and me and Bob were like kind of <laughs> both attached to it. So, mm. you know, maybe getting a little bit David Cronenberg there. But it it worked for us. And that's what we will do again with the next one. Mm-hmm. I have a question about your process on that, too, though. And I don't know. This is kind of a question, too, is with whether you all do this when you work individually or, you know, also when you work um, together. But do do you all outline that much? I do. I outline quite a lot. So I, I always know how it's going to start in the middle and the end. But then I'll go further and I'll try to at least write a rough outline for each chapter Now, just because I've got that outline, it doesn't mean that I can't deviate. But I do find that if I don't have the outline, then usually, you know, I get I get to that awkward, maybe 30 to 40 percent mark where I'm like, okay, where the hell am I actually going? So (laughs) it's about setting yourself up for success. And I found if I don't outline at all, then I run out of steam if I outline to the point of every micro detail, then it becomes really, really boring because I know there are a number of books that that suggest you almost do every single aspect and every single element like uh, Larry Brooks's story engineering, which I did. I did try to write a story like that, but it was like, I'm, I'm just bored and this is too <laughs> rigid, but I, I will know what's going to happen in each chapter but I'm also not afraid to deviate from that so yeah there's a plan but it doesn't always mean I stick to it <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah there was a lot of we, we did a lot of back and forth brainstorming and I think on a collaborative project every project's going to be different but on a collaborative project I really think it's important that you do have some type of structure uh, I'm primarily was a pretty much an outliner and I, I have found on my own on my own project, and like I said, every project's different. So on the, my work in progress right now, I cannot outline. I have no notes at all. Um, and I've I've been more productive on this particular on this particular project. Now I'm sure down the road I'll probably have to have something. I've just found that lately I spent a lot of last year not writing, but I wrote you know quite a few outlines on stuff because stuff I wanted to work on. And I just basically drove the steam right out of it by the outline. By the time I was done, I was like, well, fuck, I don't have to write that anymore. You know, because <laughs> I wrote a fucking outline about it that's 30 pages long. I filled up a whole moleskin. Weird deal, you know. But yeah. with this particular project, we had to have a structure 
and it's primarily because we, we kind of knew what kind of story it was going to be, and we knew it was going to have some twists and turns. And when you know that going in, then you, you can't you can't do you have to kind of you know you can't go and then and then and then this was definitely a but and therefore so if and if you don't know what that is um that's something that is kind of passed around it's been online for a couple of years now it's actually came from uh stuff that matt stone and trey parker from south park learned on how to write south park and they were writing their plot points and they had some really, really good people that were helping them out when they first started. And they said, your stories are not not very good because everything happens in an order and you get to an end. And he goes, you don't have any dynamics to your story. So between each plot point, they had and then. So basically, you just have a run of events and then you have an end. But if you in between each plot point, if you can put the word but or therefore then you must change the next plot point to fit that. And it becomes more dynamic as you go. You can still get to your end, but now you're just creating complications for your character. And this is something that came to this particular story quite naturally. Uh, thankful for that, <laughs> you know, but <laughs> it was just, it was laid out in such a way that, you know, that, that, it's it it meets my two criteria it has to be logical and it has to be unpredictable and that's you know when when i find stories that that hit those two criteria then i'm in love with that story and so that's you know and i think we did it in this particular story just kind of lends itself to that uh you know the next one we're probably going to try to do the same thing uh we'll probably try to do you know the single pov uh again it just seems a lot easier um and plus you know there, there's there's also strategic reasons why you would want to use a single pov that can be to your advantage um but it, it's one thing that this story doesn't really have it doesn't have that sense of dramatic irony where the reader or the audience knows something that the characters don't because we're only in one POV. But I think, you know, even though it doesn't have that, it's got so much more of the, the just the, the overwhelming dreadful paranoia. And that's, to me, that's, that's okay. That makes up for it big time. I think it has the dramatic irony on subsequent reads as you, you know, see these little, things that we've put in place to hint towards what's going on. Yes, so that's I would true. say that, but on on the first read, maybe not. I think we gave we gave enough hints for people to come up with with their own conclusions as to what might be happening. And as per Brennan of Dead Headspace, they got it wrong every single time. <laughs> but you know that that's great. <laughs> you know, that's amazing. I I think as you were saying that and you were talking about you know what a story needs to have it needs to be logical but it needs to be unpredictable a great thing about working on a project together is that you basically have someone to call you out on stuff for every single step of the way so if you write a scene and it's like that's not plausible you can be told in pretty much real time you know that's the next email reply that you get to your, mm-hmm. to your section so I guess it means that when you finish each 
draft it's perhaps cleaner than if you were doing it on your own so you don't send it to the beta readers until it's you know pretty polished and stuff um i i think as well i mean you were talking about the next project that we're going to work on together i think this one is going to be more ambitious and more difficult because there's going to be a lot in terms of the timeline. We're going to probably have to jump from different time periods to different time periods. It may be a little bit less linear. I mean, what we're trying to do with this is pretty ambitious and it will be interesting to see what the end result is. But yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to it, but I also think it may be <laughs> the most difficult thing I've worked on because there's a lot that we have to get right to get it right overall. Mm -hmm. I think it's going to be way longer too. What about um, as collaboration, what about continuity? Um, Was that difficult or easier to maintain continuity with two of you putting eyes on it? So do you mean continuity of events or characters or voice or the whole kind of gamut? Yeah, kind of the whole gamut, kind of like you hit this point and this thing happens and then you go, oh, wait, but that doesn't mesh up with this thing that already happened back in Chapter X, you know, and um, I'm wondering if those things like that are easier to spot. I, I think the fact that there are two of us working on it obviously doubles the chance of, you know, one of us at least seeing it. I think the way that we got around continuity like I was talking about perhaps at the start of the conversation is if we added things being very aware that we've now got to go back and check previous scenes and perhaps even read through the entire thing but I certainly think just logistically having two people two voices look at it means that you're doubling your chances of spotting these errors and like there, there were some moments where I had, I thought I'd been through this so meticulously and then I'd pass it to Bob and I'd think he's not going to be able to point out anything and then he'd point something out and it's like, how the fuck did I miss that? But I think, <laughs> I think as well, I mean, the more you look at a manuscript, the more you can become blind to it. So if if you perhaps worked on something more than your co-writer, then the co-writer might be able to find the part that you were unable to. But I mean, there were even some things right before I sent it to the printers that it's like, whoa, that one sentence had a little bit of an error there. And I'm so glad that I've seen it now. So look, I hope that the final version doesn't have any errors but we all hope that and probably other writers listening are laughing because there's there's always a bloody error it doesn't matter how many times you look through it your editor looks through it the beta readers look through it there's always something and you spot it and you cringe and quite often it can be on page one (laughs) i hope it isn't but this (laughs) this just seems the way Mm -hmm. The way that it goes, I mean, at least with an ebook, you can edit that and pretty much, you know, correct it 
on the spot with a print run. I mean, it's possible, but it's not so easy. But like you said, it happens with, I I honestly, probably if you asked me to name a flawless book that didn't have any, um, you know, misses like that, I couldn't do it. I don't remember ever reading a book that didn't at least have a typo in it somewhere. Yeah, and probably the ones which we think about where it's like, oh, I'm not sure there's an error in that, like The Girl Next Door by Jack Ketchum or The Shining by Stephen King. It's like, it's not an error because you're reading like maybe the like fifth or sixth edition and they've had time at this exactly point to kind of get rid of them. <laughs> yeah, there's typos that end up in books. I mean, there's a, there's typos in Dance Macabre and I have the latest version that has all three front matters. So Go not to only has Stephen editor, King and call him out, Bob. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm gonna, call out, I'm gonna call out his editors because Steve, Steve don't, All Steve already knows. Them, oh yeah, right? it's on page 34. I've seen it, you know. So yeah, you know, I told them fuckers every time. But anyway, um, is that how it works? Do we just, if there's an error, do we just get to slag off the editor? Because if so, that that works out amazingly. Because Max Booth edited this one, and you know, I love having a little joke. Oh Max. yeah, dude, it's totally the editor's fault. Yeah. Yeah. Is it even the editor's <laughs> fault if I get bad reviews? It's like this is a one star review. <laughs> Fuck you, Max. You need it. Dude, if I lose my job at work, I'm gonna blame it on the editor. That's the way yeah. <laughs> Is it even the editor's fault if they suggested a change and I didn't make it and that's called out in the review? Am I just like Max, you, you weren't persistent enough. You didn't suggest hard enough. Is it still your fault? Yeah, that that and that brings me to a point too. Is like in the collaboration, there was really nothing that that wasn't like off limits on here. If we wanted to try something different and it didn't work, so the email back and forth would be, well, I I don't think that's gonna work. And then you know, then the other person would say, well, it should be like this. And both me and Michael, at the, you know, have done this to each other. It's like, okay, well, sell me on it, lay out your case. And I will consider it, and we'll see what we can do. Nine times out of ten, that's going to end up being a compromise. And that's that's fine, you know, if it makes the story better. But you, you, can't, you can't move forward until you get to that point. You have to have communication about things. And that's – I think that's that's infinitely important in a collaboration. Yeah. Yeah, and that, there were even times where you, know, you you would say something to me or I'd say something to you, and then the other would say, well, lay out your case. And then we'd respond by being like, you know what? I wasn't that passionate about that thing. Let's just not do it. I'm not fucking laying out my case based on, on this minor detail. Well, if you're that against it, then forget it. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, well, there, we there had were... Some cool- Yeah, there were a few bits, though, where, you know, one of us would put out an idea, the other would reject it, and then we'd go back and forth rejecting each other's ideas for, like, a couple of days, and, and like, that's just the way. No, was it like, oh, I'm rejecting yours because you rejected mine, fine, then I'm rejecting yours on top of that. (laughs) In my my family, we call that, we call that fuck you tennis. (laughs) 
Yeah. <laughs> fuck you. No, fuck you. <laughs> fuck you, Dennis. That's great. <laughs> no, it's just in, in between in between the drafts on this thing, we there was we realized that there was something missing. And we had to we had to brainstorm this. We actually got on a Skype call and brainstormed this. And it took us a while, but we you know, we we realized we didn't know what it was gonna be. We just realized that something hadn't happened to our character. Let's just put it like that. We we had not done something to our character. And once we realized that, it opened up so much opportunities. You know? And there were and there was a lot there was a lot of back and forth on it, but in in some of it was like I say frustratingly fun, you know, getting an email from Michael going there's no way you can stay down you know tied down in a fucking chair this long, you know. Yeah, try not to give any spoilers, Bob. <laughs> right, but just you know, and then and then having but if you don't have someone calling you out on that, on those kind of things, then. You know, you 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 got to rely on an editor, and then if you really really like it, I mean, you you obviously have final say, and you're just gonna be like, well, okay, but I don't think it works, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so 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 that that particular scene that you're talking about that I'm not gonna go into any <laughs> details on, but there were there there was something that we did a lot of back and forth on. And it got to the point where we were trying to work out how a character is doing something. And we were both like we were both just in our apartments, like lying in different positions, putting ourselves in the situation that the character would be in. And then seeing if we could physically perform some of these feats that we <laughs> needed to do so that, yeah, it's like there was kind of some character acting because like getting those details right was so important mm-hmm. but i think as well i mean with with some of the back and forths i mean i said that i can be blunt but i know that there were points where like bob would send like even just like a paragraph that we needed to adjust and i'd just write no too cliche and it's like any <laughs> you know most, most friends would probably not be a fucking friend anymore but it's like we just you know, sometimes you just have to write no. Like I, I told you, time is finite, and we've got that relationship. And I do find that with a lot of my friends in general, it's like that they're, they're friends with me because they know that they will get an honest opinion if they ask a question. But if they're gonna ask a question, they better really want to know the answer because mm-hmm. I'm not gonna hold back about it. And so there are some people who have realized actually being friends with Michael isn't a great idea. And so that kind of <laughs> disappeared. But it does mean that, you know, those that vibe with that sort of personality, it means that the friendship is a really good one and they know that I'm not gonna bullshit them. Mm-hmm. I've done that with people with relationship advice before. Like, do you really want to know if you should leave your partner? Because I'm gonna fucking lay it out straight to you. I have that Do you issue want this too. answer? I have that issue too. Um, make sure if you're asking me that question that you really want to fucking know what I think about that. Yeah. Yeah. 
And, I mean, because why waste your time, you know? I mean, it's kind of like kind of like giving reviewing a book you didn't read. Why should I sit there and fuck around pandering to what you want to hear when, you know, you ask me a question, well, here's what it is. Yeah. And it, and I mean, with relationship advice specifically, I, I say to people, you know, it's obviously it's your relationship. It's your decision. You've got to do what's right for you. And you're telling me these things in in confidence. If you decide to continue to be with your partner based off, you know, you know, going kind of against the advice that I've given, there's going to be no awkwardness between me and you. There's going to be no awkwardness between me and your partner because you're a fucking adult and I'm going to respect that. So, (laughs) yeah, and that that is how it's been you know some people follow my advice some people don't but I think it's so childish when you know someone's like well now it's going to be impossible for you to meet up with your partner it's like well no you should respect your friend and their decision you know as with all things I'm sure there are caveats and exceptions but you know as a general principle there yeah um, and that's the thing, too, is generally, especially, you know, with men, um, if they're asking you for your advice on that relationship, they want you to trash talk their significant other with them. <laughs> and and I just don't do that. It's like, you know, if you got a bitch about your girlfriend or your boyfriend, you you can just go ahead and bitch about them. But they're not my girlfriend or boyfriend. So that, I've got no very... complaints. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's that's very different to to my experience. You know, it's normally that the person wants to stay with their partner, but they're not sure and they want me to lay it out straight to them. The funny thing is, when we were talking to booked podcasts the other day and they asked me about, you know, what the Patreon bonuses were, they started joking like, oh, Michael will give you relationship advice. And it's like, well, (laughs) the right fucking price. For the right fucking price. <laughs> yeah, you're gonna pay dearly for this advice, motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, guys, I'm gonna get my ass kicked if I don't wrap this up soon. So. Okay. Well, we don't want that to happen. So. <laughs> I, uh, well, yeah. Since normally when we do that, we kind of throw out some uh, random, uh, you know, kind of ending questions. I had one for uh, Michael. Um, I saw, I was just scrolling through Twitter the other day, and uh, hopefully he remembers this, but I wanted to ask him about the band Navrat. <laughs> Fucking hell. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know... When I put out that tweet, I did not anticipate that that would turn up on on Inkeis. Um I mean, I both Pastor the best, might Michael. be able to talk more about Knob Rot, seeing as it was his first band, but I mean, I actually put out a tweet the other day uh, showcasing four gentlemen and uh, asked the question, name this band. And when I looked at, at this photo, I thought, blimey, 
That is uh, actually Bob Pastorella's first band, Knob Rock. There, <laughs> <laughs> they put out uh, a couple of great albums. Two songs that I would highlight are Cephalic Desecrations and Scourge the Bastard. And I saw them in Birmingham at Eddie's little dingy venue opening for Napalm Death. And this this may or may not be true. You can you can look at the photo. You can find my. Is is that really Bob Pastorella's first band? And I think humble, so I hope that he won't say fucking anything in reference to what I'm talking. About. I don't even know what the fuck you're talking about. I'm not, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna fact check this because it's more fun this way. <laughs> no shit. I mean. Doesn't this is like news to me. I mean, what do you call the band? Knob Rot? Yeah. <laughs> yep. I wouldn't even heavy, listen to a band. <laughs> Much less be in but, one. But, but, dude, yeah, you're awesome. And if you guys ever want to do a reunion, then I'm, I'm all for that, quite frankly. If I was in a band and someone suggested the name Knob Rot, they would no longer be in the band. I mean, it would be like, well... I can't play with Bob because I wanted to call the band Knobrot. And my friends, if I wasn't there to be like, and you're not in a band anymore. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was just thinking. Knowing that, it's remarkable that you stayed in the band for two and a half years. Yeah, <laughs> it is. <laughs> the 90s, man. Yeah. I was thinking Knobrot Hobo Wanker would be a better name <laughs> yeah. for it. Knobrot Hobo Wanker. <laughs> <laughs> Notice when Bob said hobo wanker earlier, two sentences later, he said he didn't leave him hanging. (laughs) 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 On that note, do you guys uh, have anything else you're working on you want to let people know about? Uh, First, before I forget, Michael, you have a momentous occasion coming up tomorrow. Congratulations on that. Yeah, yeah, thank you. I'll be reuniting with my wife and daughter after seven months apart. So due to this whole global pandemic and COVID, when I got into Japan, the next day they closed the borders to Brits and they're not even fully open. They're only allowing people in if they have basically exemptions and and family and it's taken seven months but finally they're in the country and their two-week quarantine ends tomorrow so we all get to be together again and I mean it, it, it's going to be particularly great to, to continue you know, raising my daughter and watching her grow up because the last time I saw her she was still one years old she's now two and a half and so yeah. in terms of language and development it's significant and luckily because the technology i mean we get to video call most days but of course it's not the same and so it it's gonna be great i'm really looking forward to it and it'll be interesting to see how my daughter reacts because at this point like me and my wife used to joke about this, but I think she genuinely might think that her dad lives in a phone. So I don't know what the fuck she's going to do. It's like, is she going to try and put me back in? Like, what are you right. doing out of your phone? <laughs> yeah, yeah it, it, it's going to be interesting. I don't even know 
how I'm going to react when we see each other. Like I might be overcome with emotion and start crying or you know, who, who knows what will happen, but it's going to be a joyous occasion and about bloody time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. It's a hell of a lot longer than it was anticipated at the beginning. And uh, yeah. I think I probably speak for all of us when I say we're happy for you. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. Thank you. And, and if your daughter tries to put you back in the phone, <laughs> don't, <laughs> Don't yeah. feel bad. My my son is two and a half, and he regularly tells my husband to like, you go back to work now. It's like yeah. it's Sunday. No, you get out. Go back to work. So it's kind of just a you know, just a thing. Fuck yeah. off. Get out of here. Yeah. I got better shit to do. That's gonna be Michael's next book, The Man in the iPhone. <laughs> it was like in one day I was in the phone. <laughs> and Bob Passarella tried to, right. tried to kill the connection because he got some pissed at iPhones. There would be a tech support nightmare. Michael David Wilson in an iPhone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, can you imagine that phone call? No, 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 Mike. You don't understand. I am in the phone. <laughs> Why have I brought like, Michael Kane oh. with me? <laughs> What's that? Why is Michael Caine with me? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Why is> he... <laughs> That's like the only British voice I can do. I know. We can now start the, having the everyone imitate their podcast partners. That's fantastic. Mm. I can do yeah, the, the Liverpool. No, there, what's the other one? Um, the old man who always... They, there's always in these old horror movies, there's always, especially like the old Hammer ones, it seems like there's some guy... It's like cold outside. He goes, well, I got her to come in. She was chilled to the bone. <laughs> it's like, what is that? How, how, does that, how does that even occur? You know? <laughs> I know y'all have ever heard that phrase before. Yeah. Um, but how does the person observing know that she's chilled to the bone? How do you, how do you suss that out? I know it's like have you ever like touched <laughs> chilled bones before? Right. This like, one sinister motherfucker. I would not be doing. Like, <laughs> and if if you're touching her chilled bones, it's they're chilled because she's fucking dead, dumbass. <laughs> yeah. No. <laughs> I mean, it's like this guy better work like in a morgue, <laughs> you know, or something like that. <laughs> oh, but we fucking digress, and I have to get out of here. Mm-hmm. Um, you guys, we want you back. Um, as many times as possible and as soon as possible. Um, it's always a blast talking to you, Michael. It was a blast talking with you, Bob. And uh, it's a blast working with you guys. Um, the book is there watching. Uh, remind us when it comes out. Comes out Halloween. So yeah. not long now. Mm-hmm. And you can pre-order it either on the This Is Horror website. And there are a number of pre-order bonuses or you can get it off amazon or as the old cliche goes wherever good books are sold which is pretty much online at the moment because most bookstores are not open (laughs) (laughs) Uh, yeah even the places where the bookstores were selling in their shops they're selling online now yeah but uh yeah um so well thanks a lot you guys um We'll be talking to you on the outside. Yes, and congratulations right. on the release. And That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you very much. And mm-hmm. thanks for 
for hosting this and yeah i hope that you you never get sick of us because we want to come back on again it's been a lot of fun it always is so take care of yourselves everyone by there watching and have a great day uh you guys too love you guys all right have a good one man have a good one peace Is somebody going to hang the fucking thing? (laughs) (laughs) Ha ha ha.